Welcome to Game Over Montreal. I am Andrew Berkshire, as per usual, and we are talking about another Montreal Canadiens loss. Let's bring that back. It's nine in a row now. The Canadiens are two games away from closing out the season. It has been a rough end to it, both uh, on and off the ice with the passing of Guy Lafleur, but a beautiful ceremony to start this out. Let's talk about that to begin with, with my guest, Chris Meany from the Fantasy Sports Network. How's it going, Chris? Uh, doing good, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, yeah, you're right. Off the top, uh, another loss, but I thought it was an entertaining game. It looked like it was going to kind of get out of hand early, but man, you talked about it off the top. Just w- what an what an ovation, and Michelle Lacroix tried to you know get in there a couple times to to get in and speak and say you know a moment of silence for Gila Fleur, but you know the fan base the, they weren't having it. it was, yeah, uh, it was electric start. Yeah, it was it was cool, and I know that there was. Uh, talk around Montreal about not doing a moment of silence. I know I think Patrick Waugh was on radio earlier today or yesterday saying that Guy would have just wanted people to scream and shout instead and just yell his name. So I think it's cool that they did that. And, you know, yeah. I think it was three times Michelle Lacroix tried to break in and they just got louder. And it's one of those moments where, you know, even as somebody who's not as emotionally attached to the team anymore, somebody who looks at it much more objectively or at least attempts to watching that whole situation play out and what Guy Lafleur means to this franchise, how much this city and that arena loves this sport and this team in a season that has been dismal at best. I can't imagine what it's like to be a guy like Nick Suzuki or Call Caulfield in that situation and feel like they're so young and so good that even if they could capture a fraction of the love that he had, like it could just sustain you for a lifetime. You know, like it's truly special uh, what the Canadians fans do for the, for the players that they truly love. And, you know, one of the weird things about Guy is, I feel like he was so vibrant that that's the biggest shock of all this. Cause everybody knows that he chain smoked like his whole life. Right. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. they, they mentioned on the broadcast that he went uh, he fell asleep at the wheel and had a, a pole go through his, his uh, window when he was driving and he went through the headrest. No one knows how, <laughs> how he survived. It was like, he was too cool to die. And that's why it's so shocking. Right. But, I feel like this is a moment that everyone in that dressing room should be looking at each other and saying, like, this is a special place. We're lucky to be here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure you're going to hear that from some of the players after the game. And, you know, you can hear Gallagher between the periods and, you know, how much it meant to him. And he was kind of sharing some stories of of Guy. And, you know, he was saying that he was sharing those same stories to some of the younger players as well. Like you mentioned, Caulfield and Suzuki. And to have the 10 on the jersey, like that had to mean something too. And just you could see, you know, their faces on the ice and how long that ovation went. Even on the other side, you know, the experience with Patrice Bergeron and and Brad Marchand, you know, he was stick-tacking, stick-tapping basically the entire time. And, you know, it was was a special, special moment. Um, 
And and those kids, you're right. I, I you know for Caulfield and Suzuki, and Suzuki's going to take on. I mean, he's already taken on such a huge leadership role in in just a couple of years with the team. And and you know, I, I believe he's going to be the captain of the team. You know, in the future, I, I do believe that he should be. And whether it's you know whether they name a captain next year or, or not remains to be seen. But to, to see the fan base, you're right, um, just pour down for what was double digit minutes, uh, you know, nonstop, not letting LaCroix get in there and say anything. And, and, you know, Suzuki, obviously it's, it's to compare the two, we're not, we're not comparing, but for those guys, you got to figure they're going to be a big part of Montreal's future moving forward. Two really strong campaigns. It's, you know, it's been a long season, Andrew, of course, for Canadian fans, but there are some positive takeaways that you can take, especially from Caulfield's game with St. Louis behind the bench too. So, um, special moment, and you know they tried to to make it happen at the end of the game to to force overtime. But man, you're right, Guy. What a, I mean, his on the ice, off the ice. You know the stories of the chain smoking and. I, I had the chance to meet him a few years ago and, and just a, you know, a stand up guy, fun, outgoing, telling stories. Uh, you know, I, my old man grew up in the seventies watching Guy and he had so many stories. And when he, when he first met him, just to see them too, like the look in my father's eye to talk to Guy and Guy was like, wait, it, my old man's telling stories about Guy. And he's like, ah, no, like he's telling cracking jokes. And you know, he was just a, you're right. He meant so much to the team, so much to the city, uh, so much to the organization. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, you mentioned Marshawn, and I know everybody is upset at Marshawn at all times in, in Montreal for good reason. Yeah. You know, he earns yeah. it, and he's such a good player that it makes it even more annoying. But when I saw Marshawn in the warm up, or not the warm up, the uh, during the ceremony and the standing ovation, he was glassy eyed. Yes. You know, like Guy Lafleur meant more than just to Mont- the Montreal Canadiens, right? He's such an icon, and absolutely. I don't know about for you, but for me. I lost it when I saw Yvonne Cornoyer dabbing oh. tears out of his eyes with a Kleenex. And uh, someone on Twitter sent me a, a clip from, he was on radio yesterday, and he was saying that he woke up and felt so alone after like thinking about all the people who are gone that he played with, like Jean and Guy and Maurice and Henri. And it's like, damn, man, <laughs> like somebody give Yvonne Cornoyer a hug. <laughs> And that's another guy who's unbelievably awesome. I had the chance to interview yeah. him a few years ago at work, and he was telling stories, and man, just a ball of energy. And yeah, when I, I'm right there with you. I saw you tweet that out, and I liked it. And I, it was what I was thinking as well, watching when they showed him, and, and his eyes were so glossy and teary-eyed, and Ganey behind there too, even looked like Ganey doesn't show a lot of emotion either. Um, you know, not over the past few years on the ice, of course, but is another guy who kind of seemed a little glossy-eyed there. So yeah, to it's... Man, in a little over a week, right? The the NHL world lost Mike Bossy, and and now here Guy Lafleur. It's been, I mean, it's crazy. Those are two, arguably the two best goal scorers of all time. Yeah, it's 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 nuts. Honestly, I mean, the takeaway: don't friggin' smoke. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's one. Yeah, chain smoke. I I know that. I heard that. Watch that report as well. And I know a lot of players back then did and chain smoking in between the between periods, before the game, after the game. Maybe a shot of Jack or a shot of whiskey or something like that. But uh, yeah, that that would be a takeaway. Uh, you know, don't smoke. Not in this day and age. Yeah. Oh yeah, Marshan, man, come on! It was a nice hit, Petrie laid on a. On I know. You sticking up for your for your captain and and your player. I get that. I'm see, I see it more and more in today's game. After a clean hit, it feels like something needs to happen, but it doesn't. It was a nice clean hit. If you want to have a moment there where 
Marshan jumps Petrie and there's a little tussle there. Fine, let it be over with. But then again, after the period, it continued and, you know, he took a couple runs at him as well, like later on in the game. But that's, Marshan's not going to change his style now. Yeah, no, and I, from, from the Bruins perspective, I get it a little bit because they're playing a team that has nothing sure. to play for. And you see Petrie go after one of their most important players and like, yeah, it was 100% clean. But if he like blew out Bergeron's shoulder or something oh, on that play yeah, and ruined their bad. playoff hopes. I'd be and pretty Taylor mad Hall took too. a shot too, right? Taylor Hall took a, and that was yep. a clean hit as well, but it looked like, man, originally I thought, man, this guy dislocated his shoulder or his arm the way he was kind of hanging, but maybe he just got the wind knocked out of him. But yeah, if you're a boss and you don't want that and, and what it was a makeup game due to uh COVID that ran through the Habs. So yeah, you don't want to be losing any players with a week left in the season. No, you really don't. And you know, I, there was a time where it looked like the game was going to get a little bit out of control. And I feel like the refing, did not help. And there was a comment on the stream chat saying like, it's rare to have a game where you feel like you got screwed over and you can actually just justify it by showing one <laughs> clip. And that that uh, penalty shot call against Mike Hoffman was farcical, frankly. And Hansen, the referee, who I found, found it funny, they kept on pointing it out on the TSN broadcast that every time that the players were going to talk to a referee to like appeal something, they were going to Brian Pockmara instead who like, fine. He's, he's the guy with seniority, but also like you're making yeah. a point that you're saying that guy's a joke, which <laughs> frankly oh, he man. earned in this game. Yeah, he really did. I didn't even think that was a penalty call. To be honest, I thought, you know, the, the turnover from Hoffman, it, it was what it was, you know, a bad turnover from him, but you know, he, it wasn't a clear cut breakaway by definition. And I think, you know, the ref maybe had a bad angle on it because he just kind of went over. It looked like maybe during the live play that he smacked the stick out of his hands and all contact. But that was just a hard hockey play. You want that. You want those. Those shouldn't be called. Those plays shouldn't be called, let alone a penalty shot, you know, and, you know, a partial breakaway. So that was a brutal call. And then I thought maybe the hockey gods, the way that, you know, he, uh, Eric skated skated that puck. I thought maybe he touched it a little bit, but he didn't. Uh, And then, of course, he ends up scoring. And then another phantom, like, embellishment call on Jake Evans. I thought that that was pretty mediocre as well. I don't, I don't, I don't like those calls. It's like, call it one way. The guy either tripped him or, or he didn't, right? And if he didn't, then. Don't blow anything. Just let the play go on. So I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of I, calls. I think there are definitely situations where you can call a penalty and embellishment. But to me, the embellishment has to be super clear if it's also a very That's obvious true. penalty. Like if it's a high stick and the guy just goes like this and he didn't need yeah. to do that. Is it embellishment? Whereas Anderson later in the game when uh, Brad Marshawn, I don't know what Marshawn was doing, but he had his stick up high and it kind of like grazed Anderson's neck and Anderson was like, ah, and then Marshawn went after him trying to, and they both got penalties out of it. But that was more clear embellishment to me. But I don't, I don't think Evans sold it at all. I think he tried to jump past the the Bruins defenseman there to get, because he was being interfered with. And the guy just kind of twisted him in the air and he fell. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened. I mean, he's trying to, you know, the puck was loose. He's trying to get the puck and, and continue to skate up the ice. And, and what I believe was, yeah, I think it was five and five at that point. And then they got the four on three. Um, yeah, Marchand, I mean, there's a couple moments this season where he says that that stick is high. I don't know what it is. I think it was on Villa Huso. I, I think it was on Huso. It was on some goalie early in the year. Actually, it might have been Tristan Jari now that I think about it, when he had his stick high on. It's like, what did he say? Was it Jari? I don't. Uh, Didn't he get suspended for that? He, he, I think Marshall? he did. Yeah, he got a couple games. Yeah, he's had a, so many suspensions, dude. It's hard to keep track. 
<laughs> oh, we got Ottawa fans in the chat saying Gallagher needs to talk to Evan and Evans and tell him that kids are watching. Man, are we re- are we gonna have to talk about this into next season too? It, I think Ottawa so, fans man. are so rattled. Like they, I, they really are. And oh, you get it a little bit more than I do. I think most I, people on social media know that I I'm instigate. A fan, you host the show. <laughs> you do uh, instigate. Maybe I I do a little bit of trolling too, but. Yeah, I saw the back and forth last night. Tim Stutzel's stat line, Suzuki's stat line. I mean, the sends this, Habs. There's definitely a rivalry between the two. I mean, it could go back to PK and Mark Stone and Anderson and those couple like playoff battles there that they had, you know, a few years ago. And I don't know. <laughs> Sens fans, um, for the most part, they're usually pretty quiet. You don't really hear from them, right? Because the team doesn't, the team hasn't really done a whole lot lately. Yeah, I feel like a lot of Habs fans don't remember, but I think Sens fans do that back when they played each other in 2013, uh, I was the managing editor for Habs Eyes and the Prize at the time. I think it was my first year. It was the lockout shortened year, my first year there. And we all we had like a meeting at Eyes on the Prize. And we're like, there's not really a rivalry between the Canadians and the Senators. Let's make one. So PK was in his Norris year, right? And Carlson had missed the year with the cut Achilles. And I had done an article earlier in the year that was like, hey, PK deserves a Norris this year. If you compare it like stat by stat, it compares even better than when Carlson won the Norris last year, which wasn't saying PK was better than Carlson. It was just like, hey, it's a comparable season. He deserves a Norris. So we were like, Why, what if we make up the hashtag Carlson sucks and we just <laughs> spam it all day? Like nonstop talk about how Carlson sucks and just make it complete absurdities. Find like the worst plays that he's made this year and gift them all and just like keep sending them out. All of Hab's Twitter kind of caught on. It trended internationally and <laughs> sends Twitter lost their no minds and no like doubt. anything that we said, they thought we were being like completely serious. Like I put out a tweet that was like, Oh yeah, Carlson bladed his own Achilles to avoid being <laughs> like competing with PK Subban this year. Cause he was afraid <laughs> and people were like, I can't believe you'd accuse Carlson. And I'm like guys, it's amazing. So I feel like that also sets the table for how much senators <laughs> don't like me. <laughs> so you've been doing this for a little bit. Yeah. I may have yeah. read that and probably agreed with your take at the time. I mean, super sharp guy with uh, your analysis, but yeah, it's, it's crazy how the, those two guys, PK and Carlson have kind of just absolutely fallen off over the past couple of years. But yeah, I don't know, man said the sense, I know they, it's gotta be frustrating to be a fan of them too. Like Tim Stutz was getting booed in his own building last night. Oh, I know. Right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's Ottawa that's Senators tradition, right? Like, yeah. Happened yeah, to I've Alfredson. Been to the, happened to Alfredson. I've been to the Canadian Tire Center before and for, for a Habs Sens game. And it's, I mean, it's, it was 75%, you know, Montreal uh, there and, you know, kind of took over the building. And it's, it's, it's like that in some spots, of course, but, you know, they lose a lot of their players and, you know, they got some younger players. I think they, Sens Nation was probably expecting a bigger jump this year, like not a playoff jump, but a bigger one. And it just seems like a similar season. Yeah, they're like slightly worse than last year, which is, you know, I, to be expected considering they were in that North division and most of the wins that they got last year were after they were out of a playoff spot and kind of playing That's right. no no pressure hockey. But it is very funny to, to see the reactions. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy Sen's Twitter just because they're very easily <laughs> rattled. I'll say that. But let's, let's talk about this game a little bit because... Uh, I feel like on the one hand, 
the Canadians were not very good tonight. And on the other hand, I'm like, you know, they play really hard. They played really hard. But I think I'm just trying to give them credit for hanging in it against a team that is so much better than them. Because every night I look at this team and I'm like, the the roster is just not good. And no. any game that they're in, it's a, it's a surprise at this point. Yeah, you're right. It, I mean, St. Louis gave him a little bit of a jump when he got behind the bench. And, you know, for the most part, since he's been behind the bench, the effort has been there. Um, yeah. You know, it's just you're right. I mean, they're they're just no they're just not good. It's been a long year. And you and I talked before we got on in the green room just about, you know, last year being in the finals and everything kind of just worked out for them last year. You know, being inside the, the Canadian division and, and just having to go through, you know, two Canadian teams to get to the third round of the playoffs. And I liked some of the additions that that Bergevin had made heading into that year, the Toffoli edition, the Edmonton, yeah. like he just felt like he, I just felt like he got some guys. I think he just took advantage of, you know, the whole division thing, got some guys there that could play good playoff hockey he figures, you know, if, you know, come top four, you can make the playoffs anything can happen with a guy like Carey Price. And, you know, you saw exactly what happened, but the short and off season for Montreal was new and, you know, Price and Weber uncertainty with them not being around and two, two big leaders too. And I thought to myself, man, if this team does start off slow with those guys missing and then Philip Deneau missing, and then the stuff that happened with Jasperi Kakinemi. And I just kept thinking to myself, if they start slow and like Cole Caulfield started slow, it could just be, and the way that it is in Montreal and you know this, right? Just everything snowballs is so amplified. Yeah. And it just thought right away when they first, because they usually start pretty good, right? In, in seasons, they have a history of, you know, kind of rattling off some wins and overachieving a little bit, scoring a lot of goals early in October, and then they come down to earth. So that slow start just, it wasn't good for, for them, and the leadership was questioned, and, you know, Petrie and Dom Ducharme were kind of back and forth, you know, without talking to each other, maybe just through the media, you know, taking shots at each other, and then all the other injuries started happening. The roster, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just not it's just not great. There's so many no. holes and and defensively you could see it when they were missing you know Sherrod's playing those heavy minutes and Petrie wasn't playing. I don't think he was healthy to start the season personally and then Edmondson wasn't around. So you're missing basically three or your four that kind of rode them on the blue line throughout that playoff spot and down the middle just no depth. So you're right. The effort is there. Pretty surprising they hung around and and you know again like tonight that could have been another 7-1 game. But Could have been easily. Third, they, they they hang around. They score a couple in the third. Yeah, I mean, especially in that first period, I thought, uh, oh, despite yeah. like I almost don't even count the shootout goal because I don't know. I, I think Montembeau just got completely thrown off by the fact that Hala missed the puck and, and then got to shoot anyway. I feel like he thought Hala touched it as well, and he just yeah. thought it wasn't yeah. going to count. But yeah. yeah, it. I thought he was fantastic in the first period, and then the rest of the game, like he had, he made some great saves. Like he kept them in it despite giving up four. But uh, yeah, the the Bruins are just uh, a way, way, way better team than the, this current iteration of the Montreal Canadiens. And I, I do, I agree. I give them credit for hanging around. Uh, I really liked the effort from guys like Josh Anderson. I thought that he was especially inspired tonight. He was running around trying to truck people all night. Uh, mm -hmm. Jeff Petrie, when he went and laid out Patrice Bergeron, I thought that was like a leader moment, you know? Yep. I wonder watching Jeff Petrie during that whole thing. I know it's hard to like unfire that bullet when you start talking about, you know, going to another team, but Petrie has clearly enjoyed being Montreal Canadian during his time here, except for the first 45 games this year under Dom Ducharme. 
<laughs> I wonder if maybe he's wondering terrible sentence structure, but I, <laughs> if his family is back here next year, if COVID restrictions are starting to get lifted, if he's okay with stank, sticking around for the Montreal Canadiens, because frankly, without him, I don't know what they're going to do for their top four defense because Savard and Romanov or Romanov are not mm-hmm. it for, for first pairing. No. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And it doesn't. Romanov's you know come what? a long way in certain aspects, but still, like the offensive yeah. instincts are terrible. Yeah, you know what? Um, I was going to say that. Actually, you just said it perfectly. I, I have been impressed with his step forward uh, this season. He seems to be a little bit more patient with the puck. You know, there's there's not there's really not a lot of offensiveness to his game, but there's been times I've noticed this year where he's held on to it an extra second to maybe just take a look at his second read if the first one's not there. Instead of just kind of slamming around the boards or high off the glass, he'll take a second, you know, to look. And there's been a little bit more of that from him. But that's going to be the biggest storyline, I think. One of the biggest ones. There's going to be plenty. It'll be interesting to see Kent Hughes and, you know, how he approaches free agency. And he says, you know, they're going to be aggressive. Is it going to be like New York? You know, that slight rebuild. And and that'll be the thing for me. I'm sure, you know, they'd like to get a few contracts off the books. Maybe Yoel Armia. I know Mike Hoppins. No one's probably going to take Hoppins. He's going to stay there. Gallagher's got another few years left on what may kind of looks like a bad deal, but um, Petrie is going to be one of the big storylines because if they move on from him, then what are they, are they actually rebuilding and letting some of these younger kids kind of just roll through the heavy minutes and how, how are they going to replace a guy like, like Jeff Petrie? I obviously, I still think man, like he, I, he stood out tonight too. I thought he looked good yeah. apart from that hit. He was aggressive. That first goal was a Caulfield turnover. He thought he made a strong play on the boards and they lost control of the puck down below the, the boards, but he's been much better. Like from a point standpoint, there you go with another words point standpoint. Um, <laughs> We're crushing it tonight. Great, Chris. Not not great wording either. Uh, <laughs> but he's he's been hitting the score sheet lately, which is not everything. But the first this is a guy who had three straight forty point seasons. It was just so weird at the start of the season not to see him be productive and hit the score sheet. I, again, I think he was hurt, and then there's been some off the ice stuff which you alluded to, and I know some people unfortunately have just you know went at his wife uh, Julie, I think on on Instagram about his leadership and you know and things like that. So Montreal is a tough place to play, especially when things aren't going well. And, um, I'd like to see him stay. Honestly, I think you know he's those right-handed defensemen who can log twenty-plus minutes and contribute on both ends of the ice and skate are hard to come by. If this team is going to go on a full rebuild, that's fine. Go ahead, flip them and, and get what you can for him. But it'll, I'd be interested to hear or you know hear Kent Hughes and maybe hear Petrie. You're right. After the season is over, kind of speak up to say because you, when they when they acquired him, he had the great run and you know as a Michigan guy, Detroit guy, he probably could have went to Detroit. Uh, he loved it there. I think the Habs went on a bit of a run. I think maybe the second round, the, the atmosphere, the feeling, the relationship with Price, and you know he, he clearly liked it to to sign that extension and then Annie up again. What do you think? You think he's he's gone? I I think it's more than likely. Yeah, me but too. But if I'm Kent Hughes and or Jeff Gorton, if I'm trading Jeff Petrie, it's not at a bargain. If you know what I no. mean, like can't just give him away. Yeah, like, the whole point of it is like. You want to accommodate Petrie for sure. Like if he really wants out, you can't you don't want to force him to stay because that sucks. Right. You don't want to do that yeah. to a player, especially right. one who's had a long tenure here, who has respect and has Absolutely. been a great a great soldier, right? For lack of a better term. 
but you, you got to get something back. Like if you can go to say Dallas, who's who are probably going to lose Klingberg this off season and you can get like Petrie and a middle round draft pick for one of their best forward prospects, something like that. Somebody who could make a difference for the Canadians sooner than a draft pick could, then that really interests me. But for just cap relief or just uh, like another bad contract back just to shuffle deck chairs, that doesn't make yeah. much sense to me, which I, I guess I is like probably the same for most people. Nobody wants to just take a bad contract back and you're stuck in the same spot. But mm-hmm. I think Jeff Petrie has a lot of value. And this year I, I heard through the grapevine that the injury that he suffered in the Stanley Cup final was not fully healed when he started the year. I believe the, the fingers in the in the camera hole. And then there's the family stuff that's an added complication. And, you know, nobody wants to see their own family get or their wife getting eviscerated on social no. media for both his stuff and some of the stuff that she was saying about, like, the trucker convoy stuff, yeah. which is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just awkward. Nobody- it is awkward. Yeah, nobody wants that. I, I saw, you know, some people just questioning Petrie's leadership. Like, how could your kids, you know, look at Peach? It's just like, it that's is total cool. nonsense. And the trucker thing is, yeah, it's it was all pretty low. Uh, but I, I think you're dead on. I mean, the grapevine, I believe that that is true. I, I could just tell from Petrie's game, you know, he's a guy that usually puts two or three pucks on net a game. He's, he's aggressive to shoot the puck. I didn't see that at all. I saw some weird, you know, breakout passes from him and, Again, the short and off season, he was trying to play through that injury, and and maybe you're right, maybe it, it didn't heal properly. But I agree with your take. You don't just give him away for the sake of giving him away. He's still got a lot of value. Should and I think he's he's proven that in the last month or so. You know, because there was a lull there where you know the effort wasn't there from a lot of people. People were questioning his leadership. Remember Montembeau? I think it was Montembeau who took a shot. Yes, Montembeau he got run. Yeah. Did Petrie? What did Petrie just kind of stood there and didn't really do anything? So there's there was a lot going on there. But I think the last month maybe people are realizing, you know, he still has a lot of value. Could be a you know a top pair, certainly a top four, and can bring some production on the power play. So it was. It'd be interesting to see what what does happen with if he does want to stay and because Kent Hughes, I heard him basically on the TSN broadcast a couple weeks ago. They say we tried, you know, we tried to trade him. It, we didn't rush it. It's something that will probably you know happen in the off season. So it seems like as of now, it's like you said, it's most likely going to happen. Maybe you're not yeah. a new team. What I like about this management group is they didn't push it through. Right, they're waiting for the deal. It's going to actually make a difference for them. It's the same thing with pretty much every other deal that they made at the deadline, right? Is they waited for the best deal. They set their price and they stuck to it. I hope they do the same with Petrie. There's no reason to think they won't. Um, Outside of Petrie. uh, Yeah. I mean that defense there's, there's good prospects there, but I feel like none of them are showtime and outside of Petrie who you expect to take, We'll probably be back to his normal self or close to it with like a normal aging curve decline uh, next season. I don't know if they have a legitimate top four guy and like that's kind of a problem, (laughs) but I guess big problem. (laughs) If you want Connor Bedard, it's not that big of a problem, but going forward, you know, even through their organization, you hope that Justin Barron can be around a second pair defenseman. You hope the same for, Jordan Harris, but it's probably a bit of a bigger ask for him just based on skill set and size. Hayden Gooley is probably 
their best chance at a top parity defenseman, but I don't think he's a number one defense. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think Gouli is, is probably a two. I think we'll see him, you know, next year, maybe, um, especially, you know, if Petrie's gone and start shipping off some of these defensemen, uh, Man, I was really impressed with the small sample that we saw from Justin Barron. I was pretty impressed um, with him. You know, he's got a lot of poise and, you know, the way that he kind of walks the line with the puck. You can see that he's he's got some confidence in his game. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he suffered that ankle injury. I think it was like the last shift or something like that in that Ottawa game. And, and we don't get another look at him the rest of the year. But, yeah, the defense is it's atrocious and things aren't I, I don't know if things are going to be able to change. Like I don't think it's going to be like that Ranger flip switch right with Gordon. You know, it's a little bit of a retool. There's just a lot of holes on the squad, whether they get first pick or not. It does look like maybe they will have a pretty good chance in terms of just percentages, you know, because with Arizona holding the tiebreaker and the Habs wrap up with the Rangers and, and Florida, they're, they're most likely going to have. I guess the best odds to get that pick and maybe Shane Wright will help him down the middle, but the blue line has got a, it's got a ton of holes significantly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Edmondson Savard going to hang around as just experienced guys. Are these guys going to be the top pair next year? Or Petrie's flipped. And that's, that's absolutely concerning. Yeah. I mean, it is. Up, there was one game dude where he played like 27 minutes there. Um, like that can't happen either moving forward. No. And I, I understand why they're doing it this season. They're just kind of letting him get reps and he seems to be relatively tireless. So, they're just letting him do whatever. He doesn't really get injured. But, uh, yeah, it's not a recipe for success going forward. And, yeah, there's just there's a lot to do. I, I will say that uh, the whole draft lottery happening on May 10th, the 10th is uh, apt after tonight and uh, this yes. week. It kind of feels destined, although it also felt destined that the Canadians were going to get uh, – a too many men call out of the Bruins tonight and the refs just ignored it instead. <laughs> Again, it's, uh, it seems to, I don't know if it's every time that there's been a lot of games I've watched this year, where the officiating, you just kind of shake your head, but it does seem like Montreal and Boston games. I just go back and just think of so many instances where, you know, whistles are put away and it gets, it gets out of hand or they're calling too much. And you can say the same thing. It, it kind of does get out of hand, but there's been a, a couple instances I've noticed from Habs games where you think you're going to get that call too many men and it's just nowhere to be found. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of brutal calls in the game tonight. And But it was – it could have been a whole lot worse, like we said off the top, oh, sure. just the way that, you know, Boston came on so strong. And they are so much better, even without David Pasternak there. And I was surprised to hear that their power play was running 0 for 32 in their last 8 or 10 games heading in and – no, no Pasternak, I guess, will do that for you offensively. But, yeah, I mean, he wasn't even there tonight, and they still put up 40-plus shots. That's been the thing, right? I know you look at 5-5 five and five numbers. You, you talk about this game from an analytical standpoint. This has been a team that's allowed a ton of shot attempts and high-danger chances and, and scoring chances all year long. It's It's been like that since since day one, man. It's It's been it's a been rough. Rough, rough. And the stretch with Caden Primo and the poor guy, oh, the guy was like – shaking when he was pouring his water sometimes after letting in his fourth or fifth goal and and you know i can't even really blame him like some some obviously you'd love to have a whole lot of goals back that you let in but the quality of chances that this team gave up right around the time i guess Ducharme could have been let go five or six weeks before but there was that moment like five weeks before he was actually fired where that was the worst hockey i think i've ever seen and i've been watching yeah I've been watching since the, you know, I, rem I remember a little bit of 93, but I've been watching pretty consistently since the mid-90s. And those yeah, are some uh, bad teams, too. 
that was that was bad and that was i remember that week i don't know if it was the game he was fired or the game before he was fired but i came on the show and i basically said because the whole season i was like what's the point in firing ducharme unless you know he's like actively harming people because like you want to tank anyway just let it go don't make a a rush decision on a coach but after that week i was like they cannot let this continue because soon people are going to be paying for tickets to see this team. And if you're paying $300 to watch this team and like paying for your family and bringing your kids to the game, you cannot roll out a team that wouldn't beat an ECHL team. It's it just could not be allowed to continue. And it was shortly after that. Not that I had anything to do with it, but just like it was obvious to everyone at that point. Yeah. something needed to change and they have not been at that level of a low even in this eight game losing streak as they were the last stretch of Ducharme and that's not all on him but he also wasn't doing anything to fix it no yeah the the effort was so poor I thought it was coming a few times it was with you it was a few games in a row it's like oh it's got to happen now and you know just ride it out with Dom and the whole Caulfield thing was was kind of frustrating to see him sometimes in the second power play unit to see guys like um, Paquette, you know, get more ice time than him early on in the season and Perot get more ice time than him on the season, get him on the first power play unit, just things like that. It was just what, like, what is happening here? And then losing, certainly losing the room when, when Petrie talked about that, just, you know, him, him speaking out and no system, nothing here. Like, it's just like, this is bad. And then I remember that when they lost to the devils by seven or eight on home ice is like, obviously they, you know, they saw enough and from yeah. that game to, to move on from it. But yeah, another one, I'm just looking at the, at the box score here is just, Bergeron and Marchand just eating up the Habs like they like they normally do. Um, you know, lots of lots of shot attempts, lots of goals, hitting up the score sheet, and um, yeah, forty one saves or thirty one saves from Latambo. Could like I said, it could have been a whole lot worse, man. Yeah, it, it definitely could have been. Uh, there was a great question here in the stream chat. I'm just scrolling up to find it here from Philip Rodrigue. He says, uh, "I loved Andrew's comment about raising the standard for the team on the last episode in relation to Lafleur." I was wondering if these two gentlemen have any examples of what this would look like. Just uh, to get Chris up to speed on what I was talking about, I had mentioned, uh, do you remember back in like 2008, it might have been 2009, where it was like the last, one of the last years of like Koivu Kovalev. And uh, Lafleur went out in the media and he said like, this is a team of fourth liners. And at the time I was like 21 or 22 years old. And I was like, what the hell is this guy saying? Obviously, Saku Koivu is not a fourth liner. I love Saku Koivu. One of my favorite players of all time. How could he say such a thing? And now at 35 and the way I view the Montreal Canadiens and the attitude of the Bergevin era is I would like everyone to have the same standard as Guy Lafleur. And I think that's what I realized about those comments is he's looking at it from the perspective of what he played with, right? And he's like, this team is not the Montreal Canadiens. And he was right. You know, I love some of the players from that era, Saku Koivu especially, but the Canadians have far too long been complacent in being a grinded out team. And Mm -hmm. that bothers me. And I've said it before on this show, and it's like related to this, but it comes down to identity as well. Like the Bergevin era was so obsessed with that, like, take your lunch pail to work, blue collar, 
style of hockey where you have the Ben Sherrats and the David Savards and I like Joel Edmondson, but the Joel Edmondsons right. and your whole defense is that they're big guys who are lumbering and they're going to punish you. And your, your forwards are all gritty guys who go to the net and slap in pucks. And it's great to have a couple of those guys, but they can't all be those guys because that's <laughs> not the Montreal Canadiens identity. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's right. been their identity for their whole hundred years or whatever of history that is not nearly as decorated as this franchise. The Montreal Canadiens are flair, dynamic play. And I feel like that's that's what I want from the Canadians in two respects. I want them to chase skill relentlessly because that's where the league is going and where it should be going. And if the league isn't going that way, then the Montreal Canadiens should redefine the way the league is going because they're a franchise that has the power to do that by building a great team the way that the Tampa Bay Lightning have, the way that the Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to do. And secondly, it's by spending money and creating what Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon have already talked about, an analytics department, a research and development department, true player development, not yeah. just one guy <laughs> who tells guys, shoot more. <laughs> you know, like actually help... Get your prospects to the best that they can be. Like, we look at this team, and yeah, there is uh, there's some prospects in this group, right? That could be something. And you want what Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon draft over the next couple of years to be great picks too. Like Shane Wright, if they get him, fantastic. That's a huge piece. But they need to make bank on the guys that the Bergevin regime drafted that aren't ruined. <laughs> like Jesse Lonan has <laughs> yeah. to be good. The guys that I look at the most are like uh, Joshua Waugh, who has an uphill battle to translate his offense to the NHL. You got to start working with that kid every single day to get him to a spot where you see that skill level that's lighting up the queue in a way that like few players have in the last five, six, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. They need that to translate to the NHL. You cannot afford to waste that. And I feel like the last regime Way too often, their attitude was, if they're great, they'll prove that they're great, and they'll make the NHL. And that works for a Brendan Gallagher. Yeah. But it doesn't work for an Alex Galchenyuk. No. No. Yeah. No, it's well said. And it's a great question by by your viewer. And, you know, there is some skill in this team. And like you said, they, they do have some, you know, some prospects. It's not super bleak. Like, they do have some guys. But, man... The past few years, and and Timmons, I mean, he held on to his job for so long. They just missed on so many, so many, not even just for like first round talents, but they just missed on a lot of their prospects. I mean, not developing them, not really seeing them. And when we saw them, it was like in limited roles and, and whatnot. So it's been just a lot of frustrations. I always felt like they just kind of took a couple steps forward and then like four steps back with like, rehiring of certain coaches and just seeing similar systems and and like you said the lunch pail and like just certain certain style of play right and you've heard st louis talk about concept and systems and players being free and like that is super refreshing and the analytics department spending some money on that it's also really really refreshing to see so you hope that they continue to work with some of these kids and this draft i'm really really looking forward to this year and it's it's strange to say because the we just talked for a few minutes about how it's most likely going to be another dud year for them again next year, potentially, but they have some double digit picks again, you know, Bergevin's had those double digit picks over the past couple of years, but now we're going to see, I think a different, 
different style, a different system. And I saw it through the trade. I mean, Lekkonen's a guy that you like, I like. I think a lot of Habs fans have a lot of respect for. He's one of those guys that, you know, is always a, a hard worker, seems to be in the great, right place at the right time. And they traded him and got skill in return, right? As they saw a need on, on the blue line and Justin Barron. So I think that it was very telling to me at the trade deadline that this is a team that wants to get younger, wants to get more skilled, wants to, instead of just like hard-nosed players, they want to get some talent on this squad because they haven't seen it in a long time. I mean, Caulfield's going to be the, what, I think he's got 40 in his future, 30. I mean, he's at 20 this yeah. year. What's the last guy to do that? A Grisha? Like, there's been no skill. Yeah. Gila Fleur's not wrong. You're not wrong with it. I remember it too. I remember that was Koivu was one of my faves as well, and Kovalev, and they had that five year plan that Ganey re upped, and it was, and then everybody was just gone from it. And then that's when they got, you know, um, Gomez and Giante, just like a whole new face. But that was just kind of patchwork through something else through free agency. I need to, I'd like to see this team build through the draft. Just you mentioned the lightning. Look at all the the lightning is loaded right now, but they built all those players were through the draft. I mean, they drafted really well for for the past several years, and and that's I think how much I was going to get on top because I don't know how many times you get into it, but I think as a fan, just it it's sometimes tough to acquire free agents with everything that's happened with the organization over the past couple of years, and then you know you hear people say that they want to play in that area, but you know to their family, you got to bring your family there if they have younger kids, you know French community. There's bunch of different factors that that fall into place and this whole year has been an absolute shit show and disaster so i think they you know build through build through the draft pick here and there for agents of course you got to do that but build through the draft and i think you know dating back to that question i think you will see more than suzuki and coffee that's a good one-two punch you're going to see some more skill on this team and you, you know this summer will be huge for them yeah i, I think like to bring it back to Gila Fleur and like uh, in terms of raising standards, Suzuki Caulfield should not be seen as the for sure first line. Let's say that. I think they sure. can be a first line, a first line duo. But if the Canadians draft uh, Shane Wright next year, they should also be looking at building out a line that's even better than Suzuki Caulfield, right? And then Absolutely. you have Dvorak as your third line center. And then it starts getting a little bit interesting down the middle, right? And Jake Evans yes. is a fourth line center. That's solid. That's a great yep. foundation down the middle. And like just every time you think that you're at your best, look to, for something to improve, right? And I, I feel like the Canadians have too often been, let's just keep this together and try again and hope that Carey Price gets us there. <laughs> yeah. If I'm like, if I'm thinking with my Canadians fan brain, I don't ever want to hear the word, you know, or the, the sentence, um, just make the playoffs and anything can happen. No, if you're that's not, all that, that's the, all it's ever been, dude. They always just squeak in. That's it. They it's never, terrible. They, they're never near the top. It, it's like a, a couple of years they've been near the top. And one of them was like 2013 when they were incredible during the regular season. And then they started the playoffs and everyone got hurt. <laughs> Yeah. Like immediately in the first game, it was like Gianta tore his bicep off of his like bone. Uh, Pacioretty blew out his shoulder. Price blew out his groin. Lars Eller got brained by uh, Eric Griba. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Speaking of the sense. Yeah, that was that was that was a vicious series. <laughs> that, that was pretty. That were, oh, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, going back to. To what you said, I mean, I, I think a lot of people just 
assume right they got themselves a, a first line center in Suzuki who's great two-way player you know he kind of reminds me a little bit of Bergeron you know speaking of, of Bergeron who played tonight and then in Caulfield you know to score 20s clearly got he's a goal scorer he's awesome but yeah you should be looking to build like think about I think you said it perfectly and I was thinking about that tonight too and, and knowing that I was going to have a chat with you and maybe looking ahead to the future and you know there's nothing wrong with Dvorak but he shouldn't be here he's not a top six no, like he's he'd be better suited for our third line center, just like Placanic all those years. Right. He was playing as a second line center and at times as like a number one center for the team. But how great would the team have been if he was like a third line center who can chip in with 20 goals? Great defensively, put him in certain situations, win key face off, play a little power play. That's kind of what they do with Dvorak. But if they can get and it's tough. I mean, they've been trying to find number one center for years, man, years and years. I think they do have one in Suzuki. But to get another and, and continue to build there, I mean, that I, I would love for them to start. There's a lot of holes on this team, and certainly defensively there's there's a lot. But I would love for them to try to figure out that center position. And maybe Wright falls in, maybe Bedard falls in next year and could fall in their lap. But that's just – that's lottery stuff. They're going to have yeah. to – Can't bank on it. To, can't bank on that stuff, man. No, not at all. You, you have to make – and we mentioned the Lightning. You have to make the, the lower picks count too. Braden Point was Absolutely, in the man. third round. I think so. Uh, yeah. I remember distinctly because I was at that draft and I was a huge emotional Canadians fan then. And I thought that the Canadians <laughs> traded up and were going to pick Braden Point because, you know, mid round draft pick, short guy. That's a Trevor Timmons move. Nope. <laughs> Brett Learnout. <laughs> and then Braden Point was taking a couple picks later. But yeah, always kills me that one. Nikita Kucherov, I know there's the Russian factor, but he fell into one. the late yeah. first round. You got to make yeah. those picks count. You know, Cole Caulfield could be. Obviously not on the same level, but he could be their Kucherov, right? Mid to yeah. late first round pick. Make bank on that. They've already done that. Uh, you know, not necessarily of their own doing, but he, I guess now of the new franchises or the new uh, managers doing and getting a St. Louis in there and rescuing that situation. But still, uh, there was a good question here as well that uh, I'm going to let you answer first, Chris. See what you think. Uh, Lucas asks, is Gallagher done? Oh, I've had a few people ask me that actually this year. Same. Is Gallagher done? Yeah. Um, whew, those days of, um, you know, being near the top and five and five goals, those, those seem to be done. Those days are over. I mean, you can go back and look at the last six or seven years and you'll see Gallagher near the top of all those, you know, five and five goals. I mean, he was one of the better lines in the NHL with Tatar and Deneau at five and five for a good two year stretch. I mean, that was a, a great trio, but yeah, man, I, it's tough. I remember Gallagher's first game in Halifax. I went, it was a, against the Bruins actually. It was an exhibition game. And I remember walking away from that game and, and thinking, wow, that Gallagher, he really stood out tonight. The fifth round pick. And he was in every corner battling. He was in front of the net, loose pucks. I think he hit a couple bars and you see that from him from time to time this year too, but he's lost a lot of foot speed. Uh, it's, it's hard to generate much off the rush anymore. It's, all of his shots seem to just come, you know, from the far circle off the rush and from the corner. You know, he still competes every single night. That's never going to go away from him. But, oh, man, what a rough year. He just scored his first 5-on-5 five five goal like a week and a half or, or a couple weeks ago. I was like, Absolutely what? Wild. I saw that. I think I, I couldn't believe it. I know he missed a lot of time, but... Well, is he done? He's not, he's not going to be worth a six million dollar contract. I tell you that. I don't. I don't fully believe that. I think he still has something to offer, but not as a top six player. I don't view him as a 
is a strong top six candidate, man. It's tough to say because he's done he's done so much for the for the team, and I I don't think his thir- his thirty goal days I think are over too. I think best case scenario, Andrew, what do you think? Like, is it, he's a twenty goal guy, and he's probably not a guy that's flirting with eighteen nineteen minutes a night. Yeah, I think there's there's Shouldn't a combination be. of factors for Gallagher, right? Like we all know he didn't start the season healthy. Um, he apparently because of the short summer by his standards did not start the season in the shape that he wanted to be in. I think people underestimate how good Phil Deneau was at creating offense for Gallagher. Like Phil Deneau, people don't realize it because they were so focused on his lack of goal scoring, which by the way, I think he's at like 26 or 27 goals this year, which is nuts. Like great for him. I love that guy, but he's, he was like top 15 in the league the last three years in primary assists at even strength. Like he was a very, very good playmaker and getting Gallagher the puck in near the net, which allowed Gallagher to get those good shots that he actually needs to score because his shot is not great. (laughs) It never has been. I do think I want to reserve judgment a little bit on him because of his comments on being out of shape and the short summer. Like next year, if he still has no finish and is struggling to get the shots that he usually does, and generate a little bit of speed, then you're like, okay, then you're you're a third liner who's very good defensively and creates energy, and that kind of sucks for 6.5 mil. But uh, I've been pretty encouraged by his play since he's come back from the most recent injury, because earlier this year he was he was doing Gallagher things, but he was not driving play at all. And now he's actually been, I believe, consistently the Canadians' best play driver during this stretch. So if he can continue to do that, even if he is a 20 goal scorer and he can like drive a line and insulate a center, like say Dvorak, who does not drive play, that might actually be worth close to his contract. Maybe not six, but 6.5, but maybe five, 5.5 because eventually the cap's going to start going up. Right. Tell me, Chris, it's going to go up, right? (laughs) I think so. Yeah, I think I know a lot of Leaf fans are hoping that it certainly does go up uh, over the next couple of years. And I think that it will. Yeah, I I think you're right about about that. And I have noticed his play lately, too. There was a a couple good games in a row, I think two or three from the from that line. I say that line. It was Dvorak. And I think Yoel Armia was playing with them, too. And. They were they had a couple good games in a row. They were driving some offense, and and Gallagher was getting you know three or four shots a game. It looked like the old Gallagher. So yeah, and again, it said off the top when we were talking about this team, that shortened off season it had to have thrown a, a lot of players off. Right, Canadians not used to that. The, everything was delayed just a little bit with the bubble and and with COVID. You know, this season was extended, so it was a shortened off season. And clearly, you know, the, a lot of players played through a lot during the like Toffoli and and Edmonston and and obviously Weber and Price and Gallagher, I'm sure. So many hand injuries for him as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeez, how many times did one hand get blown up? And he still blocks and he still goes to – I mean, you the effort will always be there, but I noticed – like I would think to myself, you'd think that he'd put his right hand behind his back once in a while or his left one behind. Uh, <laughs> you know, he still has it out there with crazy padding on his gloves. And I know that Weber's gotten gotten him a couple times as well. I mean, the effort is always going to be there with him. This foot speed is – he's going to lose a little bit more foot speed. But, yeah, he's I, I still think, you know, next year could be a productive year. But you're right, 20 goals if he play on the third line and, you know, fill in here and there in, in a top six role, second power play, front of the net, great and havoc. I still think he has something to offer to the Canadians. But And you mentioned Deneau. What did you think? Did, did you want – 
I mean, I guess some rumors say that Montreal offered similar contract, maybe slightly fewer bucks. But the fact there's some reports that they didn't even really talk to know to know it was like this was on the table and that was it. There was no more conversations for quite some time. Maybe he wanted out, but that was a huge loss. And that was the moment I thought that it could be a long year when he was gone. Yeah, I was I was kind of shocked at how little they pushed for Dano. From what I understand, uh, they offered him the same amount of money, but they refused to even entertain the idea of no trade uh, protection, which is why he went to LA. And I know that since then he's talked about like how he wasn't sure about staying in Montreal. I feel like that's just like everyone who goes somewhere wants to talk about how they wanted to go to the place they went to, right? You know, Taylor Hall talked about how he really wanted to go to Buffalo. No, he. You yeah. fucking didn't like <laughs> no chance. Come man. on. He went to a place because he got a, a bunch of money and he knew that he could get traded to a contender at the deadline. He could kind of yeah. take it easy during the season. It was a cool yeah. gambit by him. I like credit to him. <laughs> didn't really work out, but oh. yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that he's happy in LA. I mean, how could he not be right this second? But I'm betting that if the Canadians would have matched the contract that LA offered with the no trade protection, he, he would have still been a Montreal Canadian. I th- I feel like it was the same situation in LA that was in Montreal, right? He had Suzuki there who was up taking his top line minutes, which he was like nervous mm-hmm. about. And then Kokaniemi coming behind who he was worried would push him further down the lineup. So he wanted that no trade protection so he could control his destiny. Completely logical. In LA, Kopitar is there to take the number one minutes. And then Byfield is coming up behind him. He wants the no trade protection to control his destiny when he feels like he's right. not gonna be the guy anymore la gave it to him that's how you win players like that yeah. and have you noticed too i'm sure following the league i know you're closely into the habs this year but i know that you you scanned the entire league and that to know arvidson and more line was one of the better lines for a good five weeks of the season at five and five you mentioned to know having a career season and i watched a king's game the other day when he was on the top power play which is something he didn't really get an opportunity to do in montreal too often there were some times where they chuck him on there he would win a face off or whatnot but he was never he was never on the first power play but he was on there with kopitar and the guy i follow and kempe and yeah they they were running the four forwards out there and he was he was one of them so yeah it's it's good to see him succeed it does I, I wonder if the whole cock and Emmy thing happened a little bit earlier. Would that have changed his tune or would that have changed Bergevin's tune or whatnot? I'm sure it would have a little bit. Probably. I mean, man, yeah. he's got 50 points this year. Good on him. Good yeah, on uh, Phil Deneau. Great year for him. Oh, he was, it was almost, he almost hit 50 points. Uh, he did hit 50 points with the Canadians. Almost did it twice. He would have hit it in 1920, but uh, the season was cut short due to COVID. At 47 and 71, he had 53 the year before. Man, people slept on Dino way too much in a Canadian's yeah. jersey. Like that, he was, he was incredible in the playoffs, too. Obviously, yes. defensively, to hold Matthews to one goal, martyr, nothing. Uh, the Jets, they made quick work of the Jets, and Shifley was suspended. But, you know, um, Connor didn't really do a whole lot in that series. And then Stone and Pacioretty, I think they had maybe one goal or zero goals combined. It was definitely not more than one. So, yeah, Dino was. He's a heck of a player, man. He's he's pretty underrated. I've heard players talk about him like McKinnon. McKinnon called him the best player and the hardest player to play against in the league a few years ago. I heard on Chicken Split. Um, it wasn't the wasn't that podcast. I forget what one it was, but I heard him say, and that was McKinnon. I was thinking to myself, man, he had probably only played against Snow like five times in his life. Like, <laughs> he still made that a big year, maybe right? He still made that uh, kind of impression on him. Yeah, I think that I think it might have been for the Athletics survey that he said that. 
for the, the player right. survey. It was, yeah, yeah, that's right. and yeah, I remember seeing that too, and I was like, wow, like I know Dino's a, a dogged player and a tough defensive player, but <laughs> McKinnon thinks he's the toughest guy, and he proved that last year in the playoffs between Matthews, what he did to Mark Stone. Like, oh my goodness, oh, he ate Mark Stone's soul last year. <laughs> Didn't know what, how, who the hell that player was wearing Stone's jersey for those six games. He was just, uh, he created havoc. Another guy who just got in there on the four check and created turnovers. And yeah, he, I, he rocked him at one point too. There was a play where he took him out and open ice hit. Yeah, it was, it was fun to watch that run for sure. Yeah, it was. There, he's the only guy I've ever heard of who scored one goal in the playoffs and might have gotten Con Smythe votes if his team won. <laughs> like that's how good he was defensively. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> looking forward, I guess, uh, we'll, we'll do a, a little bit more. I don't want to keep you forever, Chris, cause I know that, uh, everybody's time is valuable, but I'm, I'm enjoying talking to you. Um, for the Canadians, there was another question here that I wanted to get to. <laughs> there's before we get to that, there's just somebody who popped in. I saw said, what's with that shootout or what's with that penalty shot? Uh, we talked about that earlier, but. A Bruins fan that I know said that even Jack Edwards on the broadcast was like fuming that that was called a penalty shot, which is oh really? Yeah, he thought that oh, that was ridiculous. And him it and was Brick, ridiculous. Like it was, it was completely ridiculous. <laughs> when Jack <laughs> Edwards is fuming about a call that goes in the Bruins' favor, it's a bad call. It's a bad. Call. Yeah, you know that it's a very bad call. I saw the clip uh, on Twitter of just the actual penalty shot where Hall overskated it, and he was like, oh, "Oh," and he just kind of stopped for a second. Then, then he said, "Oh, he must not have touched it because Marshan did that as well a, a, a while ago, where he touched it and fell." And then it was it was completely over for him that. But yeah, just you know, jumping in, we did we did talk about that. That's one of the worst calls. I've seen all year, and I, again, I didn't think it was a penalty. Uh, to be honest, I thought it was just a good hard play, and then all of a sudden, it's a, it's a penalty shot. And Mike Hoffman's been pretty. <laughs> it would be too hard on guys, but he's been pretty frustrating to watch this year. I know he's got some skill and he scored. It's wild. And, yeah, it's you know he's it's kind of you know, and he's a proven goal scorer in the league, and. and I know he was in Florida for a game earlier this year, and they actually did a video montage for him. And I was thinking to myself, really? And then I started looking at some of his Mike numbers, Hoffman. and I was like, okay, yeah, all right. He did have, you know, I think he set like a power play or a point streak record for them. He may have had a point in 13 or 15 straight games. Um, so he's, he's clearly he's got some skill, but he just, uh, you know, I find he just floats around a little bit and gets, you know, some soft passes and. I mean, that was one of the behind the back play, and then he's got to skate for it to catch up. But I thought he made a nice play to you know, get the puck back. But yeah, this is an atrocious call. Absolutely brutal. And yeah, you're right, Jack Edwards. Sometimes I'll watch when things go sour on the Bruins. I'll flip it over to Nesson and just see uh, you know, Jack have a little bit of a fit because I, I get a kick out of listening to him, especially when it's Habs and, Lee, Habs and Bruins. Yeah, he, he's a little bit dramatic, we'll say that. Yeah, Hoffman, he has at least one of those passes, the one that created the breakaway every game. Every game, man. <laughs> every, every game, game he does it. It's yeah. I've never seen anyone that has so much obvious skill who just... It's weird because I feel like defensively, like without the puck, he's actually been really good lately. Like the effort is there, but when he has the puck on his stick, he's like, this is easy. I'll just do whatever I want. (laughs) And then people just ruin his life. And again, great defensive effort to get back and garbage call. And I give credit all to Hoffman, all the credit in the world for getting back and making that great play. But 
just terrible at making plays with the puck. <laughs> He's one of those guys that I, I like. I play some pickup still, like some beer league hockey, and you know, guys want to ha- have like nice saucer passes and stuff. He's one of those guys that I feel like he wants to have a really nice saucer pass. Like sometimes you don't really need to sauce it over; you can just pass it. But he 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 wants to get it like off the toe, and I see him looking at his toe on the stick sometimes when he comes back to the bench. Like he wants to try to make those beautiful. And he can, and I was excited to see him pass it over to Caulfield for once on a partial two-on-one there uh, last night because there's been a couple times where he's – and he's a shooter. He's a shoot-first guy. Get it. You know, if you're coming on a two-on-one, you feel like you can score. But there's been a couple times when Caulfield's alone with him and, you know, just dish it over to him, and he, he usually doesn't do that. But I'd imagine he's on this team next year too, and we're just talking about the same sort of thing. I, yeah. I can't imagine anyone – taking on his contract he was hard for him to find a contract with the blues i know there were some reports i i've read things and heard things about his agent calling out certain outlets for calling him out about his defensive plays and the, you're the reason that my you know my player can't sign a contract because of his your article on five and five numbers and and things like that but you know it is what it is you see his style everyone knows it now he's a sniper he can score on the power play it's pretty much all he really brings to the table yeah, and I would assume that next year his like his puck luck and he'll he'll will get a little bit better. He'll score a few sure. more goals, and you know it'll be less egregious how <laughs> how much like everything has just been awful for him this year because he's he's one of those guys where like everything that he does blows up in his face. And, although he scored oh, tonight, he had, he got he, he finally he got his shot that he's been looking for for months. Yeah. <laughs> he got that ripper. It's a hell of a release. He oh, does amazing. have a hell of a release. Yeah, it's and. And, um, you know, I wasn't overly thrilled with the the addition, but I thought to myself, you know, what Montreal needs over the years, you've been watching him too, is special teams. The power play has been so awful over the past couple of seasons. And this year has been pretty bad too, but there's been some moments at least where they get in there and they, they at least have, you know, a game plan when they're on there. And, you know, I got Suzuki on one of the half boards on the other side and then Caulfield, you know, you know, Petrie hasn't played too much in the – the number one power play. I know St. Louis ran out five forwards a couple times, but it is, it's been, he's, he's at least contributed on that power play. And that's been a, it's been a week's weak spot for the Montreal for, for as long as I can remember. I remember that when they were made some of those runs dude with Halak and when they went through power there, was killer. the power play was all that really, that's the only way they scored goals yep. <laughs> during those plays playoffs. It's like, they get a power play. It's like, okay, man, they could get a goal here. Mark Andre Bergeron doing it all. Bergeron, the big slapper. Yeah. You'd pl- I'd play like eight minutes and five of them be on the power play. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, there's another question here that I wanted to get to. There was uh, I'm curious about Tyler Pitlick's numbers. I feel like Pitlick is just fine, but he's just not a. I don't know if Pitlick is your 13 forward, 13th forward. Okay, but if Pitlick is drawn Ryan's in every okay. night, you're you're a bad team. <laughs> yeah, I agree. What do you think about Rem's play? I mean, I. Pretty good pickup right off waivers. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like he's probably earned himself a role here on the team next year. I think he's the kind of guy that you keep with you during the rebuild. I think he's a good bad team player, but yeah. I don't think he it has much of a role on like a contender. Like I, I think that I a lot of people are getting like uh, Paul Byron vibes from Rem Pitlick where he just has like that sky high shooting percentage and frankly with how he shoots and the opportunities that he generates, he has those offensive instincts. He might have a really high shooting percentage throughout his career, like not 25% like now, but Mm -hmm. high. I just, the defensive play is, is really bad. It's very bad. (laughs) It's such a black hole. You really notice it when 
their experiment with him on the first line. I remember there was one, a couple games where he put him with Caulfield and Suzuki against stronger players, and you could see. I oh felt yeah, it was like tanked kind of, it. Oh yeah, running around in his in his own zone, and and a lot of them didn't. And Suzuki's had to face a lot of that this year. This is the first year for him to to go up against number one. I know he did a great job in the playoffs a couple years ago in the bubble with Crosby and playing against Malkin, you know, a lot of that was to know and we talked about it, but also Suzuki playing against some pretty good second line centers, but this year has been very different. And that will be the adjustment even for him and Caulfield next year, full year of number one line minutes and playing against, you know, really, really good forwards. And yeah, I think, I think you probably said it perfectly. Rem's a guy you, you roll, you roll him out there another year through the rebuild and, and it's been a nice fine. Uh, but there, there are some things that lack lack in his game, but it's been there, there have been a lot of bright spots, and he sometimes shows up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes he shows up big. He scored some big yeah. goals this year in a yeah, season yeah, without yeah. many, right? Yeah. And yeah. you talked about like uh, Suzuki and Caulfield taking on the tough minutes. That's actually been something that I've been really encouraged about with Caulfield. I know some people get on him about like the turnovers and sometimes lapsed uh, coverage in the defensive zone where he like makes the wrong read or. He tries to fly the zone, but I mm-hmm. personally, I think Caulfield should fly the zone whenever he sees an opportunity to create offense. But I I remember last season in the playoffs and Caulfield obviously electrifying offensively, uh, a little bit unlucky from the shooting perspective, but you know, the promise was there. We all saw it, but I noticed last year in the playoffs, he was just like, he was really weak in puck battles. Like if he was having to battle for a puck, he was getting beat unless he was there first and out before the opposing player and that was the same same thing was true early this season under Ducharme and even worse because he was like more tentative and he, he didn't have that like uh short distance speed like that agility to beat players it just seemed like he didn't have the confidence but under St. Louis not only has he been better in terms of generating offense I think he's been so much stronger along the boards like his boards play he's not gonna win battles the same way that Deneau or Gallagher would who are just that's their spot you know but he's been so much stronger and I thought there was several moments tonight where he went in against the Bruin that was way bigger than him and he came out with the puck and I was like how (laughs) I I think his he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be a little bit like Brian Gianta where he has that low center of gravity and he's going to end up with like the tree trunk legs that St. Louis had and he's going to be hard to move He's going to get under guys and win the puck. And that's encouraging to me because we already know that Cole can do it off the rush. But if Cole can develop creating offense off the forecheck and that line starts attacking off the cycle as well, which they're not particularly good at. Just look at the power play results. He's going to be a dangerous player. Yeah, you're right. I see the same things. And, you know, even talking to some of my buddies who are diehard Habs fans and, and Caulfield, they'd say like, oh, he's afraid to go in the corners. And it's like, well, I mean, his first taste of the NHL was, you know, basically Stanley Cup playoffs, right? And yep. it's a, it was a huge moment for him. And, you know, that, that's a, it's a huge difference between regular season and it's, and then Stanley Cup playoffs, it's, it's amplified. And especially first year, you know, with Montreal and Toronto and, and that first round and him sitting out the first couple of games, I saw it too. And I, I saw the exact same thing at the start of the season, right? I just guys, you know, and I didn't expect him to win a lot of puck battles, like you said, but, it was either just some flybys, you know, tipping with the stick. He would never stop and, like, yep. kind of compete and battle. It would just be, like, in and out, in and out quick, or, like, just get control of the puck in the corner, wrap it around, just try to keep it alive, or quick pass back to the, you know, back to the point. But this year I've noticed 
what you just said, and it, and the change happened with St. Louis, not just did we see him get more ice time and on the first power play unit double shifts here and there too. Um, I saw him compete a little bit more in the corner. I think part of that is St. Louis and part of that's him just – I'm sure St. Louis is – I mean, I love the fact that they got St. Louis for Caulfield too. Like it's not that's the only reason, but just what I've seen so far and some of the things I've heard from St. Louis and how he has been there before and he's a smaller player that's played in the league and he's – He's gotten he's gotten a cup, right? He's he's been through so many playoff wars. He could relate and and show him uh, a thing or two about like the the ins and the outs of like battle in the corner against bigger guys and, and and you know things you'll have to do to get a little bit stronger on your feet. You mentioned the legs, and I mean he is built up top for for a small little guy, uh, but this year this the over the past couple of weeks i've seen him at least compete in the corners and win some battles i saw him like tonight you mentioned a couple of battles i think he took one was charlie mcavoy and him were going at it in in the in the far corner and mcavoy went to throw him down like to make sure and i noticed that too when his coffee was a little bit smaller some people will be willing to go the extra mile to, sh- to maybe throw him on the ice or because Caulfield's a little bit more skilled to kind of rub him off into the corner and in the glass and and Caulfield kind of held his own and you know and dished it back and it's that's something that we're still only you know what 50 games into his into his NHL career so it's a guy that's going to continue to get more confident with himself and yeah you, you you'd like to see him compete right he's a smaller guy but you want to see him compete in in the battles and in the corners and you're starting to see that you're right yeah, it's good. It's it's that and is St. Louis giving him the the latitude to like continue forechecking way past when you would normally allow a forward to forecheck <laughs> and his ability to just like sneak in and surprise defenders who think they have a clean out and it's like all of a sudden he has the puck and it's a extended offensive zone presence. It's good. It's good to see that kind of stuff. It, it's hopeful for the future, but I think uh, obviously we have to keep the focus on the Canadians. It's a long, re- it's a, I don't know how long in terms of years it's going to be for the rebuild, but there's a lot of pieces that need to be added before that team is competitive. And the East is so powerful too. Oh, yeah. right? It's going to be an absolute bloodbath uh, in the East. And, you know, we'll all laugh at the Leafs if they get bounced in the first round, but can you, can you be too hard on them? Right. When you play no. three time defending Stanley cup champs and, you know, Florida is, is awesome. And then Boston and, it's uh, there's a lot of good teams in the East, man, and I can't see. You know, I'm sure they're thinking about that too. They want to have the rebuild. It's not going to be a quick fix. You can't just fix this through free agency and all of a sudden think you're going to be able to compete with Tampa and Boston and Toronto with these over these next couple of years. I have been impressed with Boston. I thought maybe they'd take a step back, and they will soon. You know, Marshana Bergeron are getting a little bit older, but they're still they're still you know they're still incredible elite players, <laughs> elite elite players in this league. I know Marshan is. I know we were hired on him earlier, and I'd like to see him just kind of – he's changed a little – I feel like he's changed a little bit, but then you see – you know, you still see it in his game like tonight and and little things that he just tries to, you know, agitate. But he is he is very, very skilled. Um, both, can play both ends really well. Power play, penalty kill. Yeah, the Bruins are still pretty pretty strong. But, yeah, you're That's right. Scary. I mean, it's going to be a while, I think. Like, Fabs fans got super – lucky and spoiled last year with how things played out for them it's this is still a team that you know even if you know over the next couple of years they're squeaking in they're they're getting the playoffs it's just because they're squeaking in they still have you know a lot a lot a lot of work to do and who knows Carey price man like it's another yeah. guy i thought listening to him honestly his press conference a few weeks ago after he had another setback i just felt like looking into his eyes and hearing him i was like this is this sounds like a guy who actually may retire in the summer who made yeah. this like 
hang it up and call it quits. And clearly this little run for him didn't go well and he won't be traveling. I don't think we'll see him suit up again. Um, maybe the last game of the year, but I don't know why put him out the last game of the year against the Florida Panthers, right? Things haven't gone well. I mean, for him to play back-to-back games and stuff like that, I'm sure, you know, it was a good test for his body and what he could do. But I, who knows, man? Like, he's had so so many, like, injury issues over the past couple of years. Yeah, the last two games are kind of more what I expected from a guy who fit, missed 74 games. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> like, sure. just the reads were off. The first two oh, games, yeah. I was actually blown away by how strong he looked, but... Last two games, not so well. Uh, yeah, they're saying carries day to day. I mean, the way that St. Louis put it today is they don't believe he suffered any setback or injury. He's just kind of exhausted from playing games yeah. when he is not in conditioning shape that he wants to be. Maybe he'll play again. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll go to the World Championships. Maybe he won't. Mm-hmm. I hope we haven't seen the, the last of Carey Price because I like to see him go on go out on a high note. But uh, Same. you never know. Um I guess we'll we'll close it out there. It was awesome to talk to you, Chris. Uh, now we've had, I think, both members of your show had Eric Young oh, on earlier on nice. in the season, so uh, we'll have to get you guys on together next year. But uh, maybe for a Habs-Nashville game and you guys can fight it out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, EY's awesome. And we, we got to watch it. We actually watched a game at the Bell Center. It was the last game before the NHL went on pause, and Montreal was having a brutal a brutal stretch as well during then. I think they were on a massive losing streak and Nashville went in there and handled them pretty easily. And even without, you know, I think the Preds were missing some guys and then the NHL went on pause and then they came back and the Habs somehow were in the playoffs. But now EY's great. Eric is, uh, he's a blast to watch a hockey game with. He's always texting me nonstop of goal scorers, like guys that score that are on his fantasy team. He's like Lindblom or there's like random text from certain random dudes, like third line players. It's like, how are you watching? How many screens do you have, dude? Watching every single game. But I appreciate Thanks, you having man. me on, man. Um, you're killing it. Thank you. you. Know, so uh, keep up the good work and hopefully next year the Habs treat you a little bit better. <laughs> no kidding. I, I'm fine if they are not good next year. Just be more like when St. Louis first took over. You know, you're not winning all your games. You're not, to, you don't even win half your games. That's fine. Be a bottom <laughs> five team, but just yeah. not nine or 10 in a row. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, don't, I know. we don't it's need that every year every year there's nine or ten in a row i it's it, been yeah, yeah. ever since yeah. like price's first injury where he missed all but 12 games of the year they've had that um yeah so before we close it out chris uh, tell everybody where they can find your work yeah, over at uh, FTN, we got a, a show Monday to Friday at noon Eastern. I stream it from our uh, FTN YouTube page. It's also on Game Plus Network at 2 and 5 Eastern. It's just a multi-sport show. I'm a huge hockey fan, so I always talk a lot of hockey there. Just covering day-to-day bases from a fantasy standpoint, a, a betting standpoint. You know, we touch on NBA, MLB, golf, all, all kinds of greatness there. And I got the show you mentioned, Eric, uh, Dangle Bet Selly, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, just a uh, straight up and those are the busiest days in the nhl we kind of treat it as a betting show it's 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 sponsored by points bet canada but we also talk some fantasy hockey you know just hockey like you know i like you and i chat about the game we'll just roll through all the games and created a little bit of a family there people hanging out with us asking questions and um you know just straight up just talking nhl stuff and we'll you know for those that like football we we've got a little football draft coming next weekend over at ftn so at Chris Meany on the Twitter machine, if uh, anybody's interested in, you know, sprinkling any bets and stuff like that, we can we could chat and have some fun with some hockey shot props. But appreciate you having me on and giving me the time to to plug and and chat uh, chat Habs with you. It's been a blast, man.
Yeah, it's it's honestly my pleasure, and I'm sorry that it took so long. Game eighty yeah, of the season, but uh, for those who stuck around this far, by the way, uh, make sure you tune tune into the Steve Dangle podcast tomorrow for their Monday show because nice. there's going to be some big game over related announcements coming this week as we head into the playoffs. So very exciting time for yours truly, and. Uh, Excited for this Montreal Canadian season to be over. <laughs> Thanks everyone for tuning in and watching this show in like the worst season since like 1940 or something like that. <laughs> Later. <laughs>